Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we are talking about emotional well-being and philanthropy, and we have someone who's really interesting joining us today on the show. His name's Ari Simon. He is the head of social impact and philanthropy at Pinterest. Pinterest is a huge uh, social media platform. You probably use it yourselves. And we're going to have a great chat about emotional well-being and the work they're doing around that front as well. Before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. So Ari, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Alberto, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. Not at all. It's my pleasure. You're out there in California. I'm here in the UK. We managed to persevere over the time difference, which is a good start. And um, I guess, tell us a little bit about Pinterest to start with. Well, Pinterest, especially for those who haven't used it, is a, a wonderful visual discovery engine uh, that people around the world use to do things like shop products that are personalized to their taste, to find ideas, to do offline, to discover inspiring creators. Uh, and people have saved more than 300 billion pins across a range of interests from building a home office to cooking a new recipe and uh, planning a vacation. So Pinterest scale is, is remarkable. It's a big part of, of why I joined the company. And it's a big part of why it's such an interesting place to do social impact work. Uh, we have 444 million global monthly active users. We reach 37% of US internet users each, each month. And the platform ends up being and uh, having a huge kind of social narrative, social change potential uh, to it. All it is, Pinterest's mission is to bring everyone inspiration so they can live a life they love. And a lot of the work we've been doing over the past years is based on the principle that to live a life you love, you need to have self you love. And so over the course of last year, we've begun building out and exploring work in philanthropy focused on emotional well-being, which, which I know we're going to be talking about a bit later. Yeah. And so it must be really exciting for you because you, I know you're not new to the world of philanthropy. You, you were with philanthropy before you joined Pinterest. And uh, as you mentioned, being able to get your hands on, on, a, on a platform that has such reach and is so consequential and enables you to make so much change, it, it must be very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's been fascinating, really fascinating. I, I came from the world of uh, kind of old school American philanthropy, not in the sense of the things they were doing were old school, but just in the sense of it's been around for a while. I was at the Kresge Foundation as the vice president of, of programs and chief strategy officer for, for about seven years. And there, there are so many levers we have used from social investing to obviously grant making to the use of voice. It's been fascinating about Pinterest was, I, I was recruited by the CEO specifically to build out uh, its social impact work. So it's, it's a matter of starting things afresh and new versus a context where, you know, Kresge Foundation's been around for nearly 100 years. 
But it was specifically the fascinating alignment of what I saw as corporate mission and subject matter that kind of convinced me to join. I, I came to San Francisco in the middle of pandemic, uh, just as the world was turning orange because of wildfires. And I, you know, I really pride myself on timing. But at core, it was also the pandemic that made the topic and the place make sense. Like emotional well-being at Pinterest in the middle of a global pandemic that brought with it a global mental health crisis just felt like the right issue at the right place at the right time. Yeah. So you joined Pinterest in late 2020, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And when you showed up there, the whole notion of emotional well-being as a sort of thematic area to focus on, was that firmly ingrained within the organization or is that something that you thought um, when you took stock of the state of affairs, you thought this is actually where we may want to underscore things? It was, and I'm very grateful for this, something that had already been lifted up, especially by the co-founders, Evan and Ben, as core to mission, as something that was kind of essential to the kind of calculus of, again, if the mission is bringing people inspiration so they can live a life they love, as being an essential ingredient to that. And a large part of what I've been trying to do is to make everything about our work in social impact and philanthropy grounded in that synthesis and guided by the belief that this work can't and shouldn't credibly stand kind of separate from our identity as a company, but is actually core to our brand and mission because of that core equation. Um, and I don't think I would have come to Pinterest if I didn't see alignment across all those things, and particularly across the work that I was kind of asked to build out in philanthropy and, and our product. And that's because, as, as we already talked about, I think Pinterest has a really interesting social impact superpower that no foundation really has access to, which is a platform that reaches nearly half a billion people a month. And the social and narrative change potential of that platform and that reach when it comes to emotional being for me was, was incredible. So I would just, I would highlight a few things. Pinterest has in its core product and in its work done a lot to ensure that the platform itself has anchored emotional well-being as a core component of both kind of the identity we project to the world, but also truly what we care about. And there's a bunch of examples of that from forming a partnership with the Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Bibi Rexa, who's outspoken about mental health challenges, to engaging creators to create compelling content that drives awareness for mental health challenges. We launched work with the wonderful nonprofit Half the Story, which is focused on providing a healthy relationship with technology for Gen Z. And there's a ton of resources even on the platform from our compassionate search kind of program to a range of products we've created um, focused on inclusive products. So and that's slightly long-winded, but the, the mm. core point was emotional well-being was something that the company had defined as a thesis. And what I saw the job as, what I saw the, the job as being is at core creating a synthesis and crystallization of that in our philanthropy work. And what I've been telling everyone in the company is that if, if we're about inspiration, we should be about inspiration. And the power of philanthropy is that it massively expands the solution set for bringing emotional well-being and bringing inspiration to the world. And that's at core our job to kind of be the crystallization of Pinterest mission with a clear eye to our social purpose. Hmm. Now, one observation I'll make I don't know whether it's accurate, but it's my personal observation. There's obviously, if you're looking at the headlines, there's been a lot of talk of social media and mental health and so forth. But when I look at Pinterest as a platform, I I feel like it's sort of an uplifting, positive, um, inspirational platform. And I'm not saying that to flatter you, but it's, you know, whenever you're looking to 
I don't know, do some interior design for your for your for your house, or looking at some uh, artistic uh, inspiration. And it's always it seems to be Pinterest that sort of flags up through different ways, just comes to your attention and ideas, visuals that are uh, that not only feel good but the, that are inspirational sort of pop up. I think in Pinterest generally things make you feel good. So I feel the same way, and is a big part of the reason why I thought the equation of doing this work at Pinterest made sense. I, I do think, to your point, tech has a special obligation in this space. And I think one difference is Pinterest in particular has some credibility in addressing it because in many ways, Pinterest isn't kind of social media. It's long been known as, as you're saying, kind of a positive corner of the internet. It prioritizes inspiration. It prioritizes wellness. And unlike social networks or platforms, focus on things like politics, news, or likes, we're really focused on building a place for people to to find inspiration. And as I was mentioning, over the years, Pinterest has kind of invested in inclusive products and policy actions and deliberately engineered the platform to avoid a lot of the toxicity that's impacting mental health. I, I, I will say in that context though, I do see tech as having a, a particular obligation. And especially when it comes to kind of the discussion around social media, I think it's kind of self-evidently clear that we're in the midst of a severe crisis. And that crisis has been exacerbated by two years of an infectious disease crisis that has created long tails and will create long tails around crises of equity and of mental health. And, you know, just this week, the US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy made a kind of a really unusual announcement talking about the mental health crisis that has resulted from COVID and its impact on school-aged kids. And the truth is social media is absolutely part of the issue. And I mentioned it earlier, but one of the organizations we support half the story is specifically focused on creating a healthier relationship between social media technology and the next generation. That being that what you see on social media is half the story of a person's life, if, if that at all. So it, it actually, the confluence of all those things made a lot of sense. First of all, Pinterest is in the te technology space. Um, we are going through what is clearly a mental health crisis, especially for kind of young people around the world that has been deeply exacerbated. It wasn't created, but deeply exacerbated by the COVID crisis. And because of the kind of characteristics that you mentioned with Pinterest, which I also believe to be the case, Pinterest has some credibility to kind of address, to address those topics in a way that I think is, is compelling and real. Mm. Talking of the pandemic, did you notice a, a stark contrast between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic uh, usage? Of, of the platform and did people behave differently? Were people, you know, longer, longer time using Pinterest? Were there any, any noticeable differences between pre and post pandemic usage of, of Pinterest by your, by your base? There was, although I have to admit not, not being a, a complete expert in the topic, but during the pandemic, a lot of people came to Pinterest, especially as they found themselves at home. Um, and that was true across a lot of technology companies. Pinterest in particular, especially as everyone was famously redesigning their backyard and kind of reimagining their homes, Pinterest, you know, that was very much within Pinterest's sweet spot. Um, what I think was very powerful about Pinterest during the pandemic, and a lot of folks have kind of talked to me personally about, was that it, it provided obviously a point of connection, but it, it provided a point of inspiration. It provided like some very practical things that people could do. And that kind of, that connection between inspiration and action is something that is essential to, to Pinterest identity. I think as essential as, as emotional well-being is. And so I think, especially because in the US and I know in the UK, it wasn't as if it was just a pandemic. It was um, a deeply politically complicated time as well. And in the US, there was a presidential election mid-pandemic and the toxicity of so much of what was happening online 
was and is deeply felt, which is a huge part of why we have this mental health crisis. I do think a lot of the reason people were drawn to Pinterest during that time was the fact that it provided, it reminded people of uh, the other core dimensions of life. It reminded people of inspiration. It reminded people of the ability to kind of take control and almost in kind of the classic formulation, know what they can't control and um, do everything they can to make what they can control as, as, as meaningful and um, as inspired, personally inspiring as possible. So we, we did see that happen in the course of the pandemic. In terms of behavior, you know, it, Pinterest is not one of these platforms where there are tons of chat boards and people are liking or not liking things. And so user behavior is, is less, I think, fell less into kind of the repeated traps that you heard about in, in other forms of social media of um, creating bubbles and politicization. And to be very clear, like Pinterest, as any other platform would, um, has to think very carefully about how we how we curate the environment, how we think about creating a meaningful space, but also a positive space. Like all those things are intentional and results from very intentional policy choices our team has made, like banning weight loss ads um, and taking other steps to make this a space that people will continue to feel like they belong in and they can find themselves in. But at the same time, we, we didn't have, you know, the quintessential political debates and trolling that I think have typified a lot of what's happened online in the, in the last 12, 18 months. Yeah. What are the key uh, levers or levers, I guess, depending on where you're sitting, um, that you, you're you thinking, if we tweak a few things here or there, we can really make a big difference? Wh- where is it you as an individual and as, a, as, a, as an executive are thinking, okay, you know what, these are the top three things that I think we really need to address or tackle or improve on? So that's a wonderful question. And I talked earlier about how everything in our work in social impact and philanthropy is grounded in a kind of core synthesis between what the company is about and what it is we're trying to do in the world. And it's guided by the belief that this work can't be separated from our identity as a company, but is actually core to brand, core to mission. And I think about it through a couple angles. And this is what I end up talking about a lot internally and as we build out this program the past year. There's really three levers from what I see it. There's philanthropy, which is how we make change through giving. There is civic engagement and service, which is how we make change through the urge to act. And there's public good, which is how we give life to our social commitments through our platform and our voice as a company. And I do see alignment between all those things. And I do see a superpower there that really no traditional foundation has access to, which is the platform I mentioned that reaches so many people. And the social and narrative change in that platform when it comes to emotional being is just, is just really incredible. So. I'd say a couple of things when it comes to the substance of what we're doing. On our philanthropy side, our giving in this space has really been focused on kind of three core goals, which is increasing awareness of challenges to emotional well-being, so that mental health is uh, seen to be as crucial as physical health. It's been focused on reducing racial and other disparities in access to well-being resources and in outcomes, and it's supporting next-generation research and innovation in the field. So. Early grants have been organizations like the Steve Fund and Trevor Project that are actively tackling the unique well-being challenges that historically marginalized groups confront. Groups like Half the Story and the Jed Foundation, which are thinking about the next generation's relationship to well-being and technology. Organizations like Inseparable, which is this remarkable policy advocacy organization that's leading the charge in policy efforts to decriminalize mental health by providing an alternative to 911 around the country for mental health emergencies. But then it's also been about kind of leveraging our platform and creating policies that, as we we're talking about, keeps Pinterest not just a positive place, but one that advances emotional being. I mentioned earlier, 
We updated our weight loss ad policy globally to prohibit all ads with weight loss language and imagery. Um, we've been celebrating heritage moments across the world and really making that deeply intentional, whether it's Native American Heritage Month or Pride Month or uh, Black History Month, just to name a few. And it's been about, been about kind of building a more inclusive product with features so people feel like they are represented on our platform and they can find um, their space on the platform. So we have a hair pattern search that allows pinners to refine their searches by different six different hair patterns. Um, we have skin tone ranges that allow pinners to refine their beauty related searches based on a set of skin tone ranges as well. And throughout the core priority has been thinking about the multiple dimensions of emotional being. And on, on that, I can geek out a lot, Roberto, like the kind of the dimensions and definitions of emotional being, but thinking about how we use our platform to advance it beyond just our philanthropy so that it's actually mutually reinforced. And in actual fact, I'm, well, I suspect that the um, things that might seem small, like making a tweak to what sort of information is being conveyed on your platform, say the, the example you gave about weight loss, doing away with things like that, which might seem it might seem something that's fairly straightforward to do and okay, go ahead and do it. But the impact on that could be much larger than what you could ever do with grant making alone. I completely agree. And ideally, what we do is use the platform both to elevate our own messages, but candidly to elevate the incredible work we're supporting through our grant making and vice versa. One thing that a lot of the organizations we've talked to have thought a lot about is how, and a lot of them, their theory of change is hinged deeply on narrative change efforts and reaching audiences and reaching educators, whether it's uh, organizations focused on a curriculum that encourages emotional well-being and social emotional learning among school-age kids, um, or organizations that are trying to lift up messages about kind of profound racial disparities and well-being outcomes. So many of them have kind of social and narrative change as a core part of, of their work. And one thing I'm just personally passionate about is helping them find a presence on Pinterest. Um, not as in any way an expectation, but for those that are trying to reach a broad audience, it's Pinterest does have a unique kind of set of users. So a number of educators very famously use Pinterest for curricular ideas, um, for figuring out what they're going to do in the classroom. And that, again, that alchemy of the things that nonprofits are focused on, especially among key audiences that we care about as well, and the people our platform is able to reach, creates a deep tie between the grants we give, I believe, and the things we try to do in the world. And I, ideally, that's a core component of everything we do in philanthropy. I was going to ask you about those nonprofits and how they might use Pinterest as a platform to further their philanthropic or charitable objectives. Um, but, uh, but tacking onto that also, I'm just curious to see how you learn from them as well, because I gather you're involved in several areas. Uh, you just mentioned several thematic areas that, that you, you care about, and presumably you can learn quite a bit from those nonprofits within your periphery. At core, and this is just a deeper belief I have in, in philanthropy, I feel profoundly that nonprofits are the ones that are doing the work, that have the ideas. It's where the genius resides. It's where the change is made. And they're the ones who are most adjacent to the communities we're serving. And for all sorts of reasons, success in philanthropy means elevating those voices, empowering those organizations, and frankly, like giving them the tools to succeed. So everything I've learned about emotional well-being has been from the nonprofits we've already worked with um, and a few peers. So there are a couple of wonderful peers in the space, like the Wellbeing Trust, which is right across the bay. And they're kind of visionary director, Tal Norris, who has been a mentor to me as we've entered the space. But at core... I mean, the most sophisticated work being done 
around the next generation's relationship technology has been done by Lars and her team at Half the Story. The most sophisticated and interesting work I've found when it comes to the unique mental health crisis afflicting young people of color is being done by this defund. The Trevor Project speaks for itself in terms of its reach and its expansive impact when it comes to BTLTQ plus youth. And so across, as we've been building out our thesis, so much of like, for me, the joy of this has been not just finding the incredible nonprofits and supporting them that are doing this work, but also thinking deeply and deeply refining our own thesis about how we think about the emotional well-being space and the difference that Pinterest in particular can make on it, grounded both on what we're seeing in the field, what our peer funders are doing, but also what nonprofits are identifying as kind of the major priorities for philanthropy in the space. Mm. A lot of them have said, and a lot of them expressed a ton of excitement, honestly, about being able to reach Pinterest audience. We've really made some kind of initial steps at, at having that happen um, through, through all sorts of kind of priorities over the course of the past year, whether it's kind of lifting up the voices of nonprofits that are serving communities of color during kind of vaccine outreach efforts um, to supporting organizations like the Othering and Belonging Institute, as it thinks about kind of narrative change efforts around Black Lives Matter last year. There is, you know, a huge user base that is kind of interested in finding inspiration. And I really believe the nonprofit sector is the inspiration sector. And so it makes all the sense in the world, both in substantive terms and in terms of literally just service, both to our pinners and to the organizations we're trying to support in philanthropy to make that connection and to kind of lift up their voices and their messages and their themes on our platform. Now, if somebody's listening to this and they are running a foundation or a nonprofit and an NGO, they don't currently use Pinterest, but they could. Um, what are the, the, the most obvious ways that somebody looking to project their message, create awareness, change behavior, what have you. What's the, what are the most obvious ways that somebody can use that, uh, can use Pinterest to, to further their philanthropic or charitable aims? Oh, there are so many. Um, and I encourage folks who aren't familiar with the platform to, to try it out. So at, at core, Pinterest is composed of um, various forms of pins, idea pins, kind of static pins. They are messages and visual messages um, that, you know, in the commercial realm are things like, you know, uh, couches you might want to buy or tables you're interested in or um, music you find inspiring or um, cooking ideas you find fascinating um, to kind of more complex narratives and stories that creators are telling. I've seen and we've seen already really sophisticated social media campaigns that have been um, projected additionally on onto Pinterest. So um, CDC Foundation and CDC in general, and a lot of organizations have been focusing on kind of vaccine awareness, use Pinterest to share, to kind of spread the word. The word. Last year, we provided more ad credit support to the ad council than we have in the history of the organization. And that was particularly focused on kind of vaccine outreach. Um, and so what ends up, the way it takes, the form it takes, Alberto, to be very concrete is, there are, there are messages and kind of links that you can kind of embed within the pin um, in a, a visually dynamic way. And one thing that is for me a joy about Pinterest is that it's just a beautiful and fascinating and, and kind of like joyful, literally visual space to use. And whether it's in the form of ad credits or just on your own pin board, it's elevating those messages and creating links to things like social emotional learning curriculum or to key messages or events that are happening, or in the case of nonprofits to kind of development opportunities or campaigns that nonprofits are kind of taking on. And so as you think about it and, and as, as you see it and you engage it, it actually makes a lot of sense, especially for kind of message-based 
campaigns to live on Pinterest. Uh, and I should be very clear, like one thing that, uh, you know, when I talk to nonprofits, and I, I would just mention here as well is, you know, for some nonprofits, it makes sense. And for other profit, nonprofits, it doesn't. And what we've seen in many cases is, you know, nonprofits often operate in extraordinarily thin margins. And it, in many cases, the kind of relevant communities for them to reach are their local communities, and they serve, uh, you know, local populations that are deeply embedded in place. And so, by no stretch of the imagination is is Pinterest like a logical conclusion for, you know, every nonprofit in the world. But there are some organizations where reach is what they're trying to get at, and spreading the word and changing perceptions of an issue, a theme, a topic is a huge part of what they want to be about. Or they just want to reach, reach educators, or they want to reach a specific community. And in those situations. A lot of what we're trying to do is to think about how we use our philanthropy to lift up those voices and to lift up those messages and to help support those efforts. Fascinating stuff. Where is it that you're, you, you'd like to move things as we look to the next 10 years? So, you know, I always think of 2030 for, for the sustainable development goals as a nice target. But if, we're, if, we're, if you and I are having a coffee in 2030 and looking back, what are some of the things you, you think would be really great to nail down at Pinterest? At core. I think we're in the middle of a mental health crisis. And for us, success is making a meaningful dent in that and using our platform to at core, not just ameliorate the current crisis, but to project and to advance emotional being throughout the world uh, across Pinterest platform, which is truly global in nature. And I think emotional being is a fascinating and complex term of art. And a lot of people use kind of alternate terms for it. They talk about mental health or mental well-being or otherwise. And we've gone deep and it's fascinating to go deep into the kind of various dimensions because unpacking those dimensions with brilliant visionary people has just been, it's been a joy. And it's a hugely expansive concept, but there's always this kind of alchemy of purpose, meaning, and community, kind of an other regardingness that sits at, at the heart of it. And I think so much of what we've thought about is kind of how do we advance those components in a platform that actually is able to build kind of on those dimensions that does help people with kind of the contours of, of inspiration and of, of, of meaning and of community. So a lot of, a lot of, I think our success will be about both projecting that message and frankly, elevating the work of nonprofits that are making traction on things like reducing disparities and both access to emotional being and mental health supports and in outcomes. I, there, there has been so much evidence over the course of the last year and a half that if, just as COVID has disproportionately hit communities of color and historically underrepresented communities, that the mental health crisis is particularly severe in those communities. And we know the struggles that school-age kids are facing um, as a long tail after effect of the COVID crisis, well after God willing, knock on wood, the, the pandemic crisis itself um, has hopefully been resolved. We're going to be facing and dealing with kind of the mental health effects and long tail of that for many years to come. And so it, it could be you'd be looking at basic metrics, um, such as kind of mental health outcomes from a kind of clinical perspective. You could be thinking about access to mental health resources. And again, we've thought a lot about what piece of that pie we're going to tackle. And what we ultimately decided is like if you think about emotional well being as being a combination of things like the search for meaning and mental health. It's something that is kind of core to everyone's life. Um, we, we thought really long and hard about kind of where do we have core credibility to act and where we don't. So, you know, if you think about the upstream determinants, it's very difficult to have emotional well-being if you don't have economic security. If you're dealing with the toxic effects of racism every day in your life, if 
you don't have stable housing or stable access to food. So there are these kind of upstream determinants. There are then kind of defining social inputs. So um, things like uh, education and awareness and stigma and social isolation, kind of the community and social dimensions that affect emotional well-being for people. And then, of course, the ways that systems interact with emotional well-being. So I mentioned earlier, um, something as basic as the criminalization of mental health. So when someone's having a mental health emergency, when you call 911, you're, you know, the, the, the effect of that is to, frankly, to criminalize something that is a mental health emergency. And to be very clear, like there are situations where that makes sense, but there are definitely situations where it doesn't. So thinking about how the justice system interacts with mental health, thinking about how the education system interacts with mental health and school kids who are, who are coping with kind of the long tail effects we discussed of emotional well-being. So again, there are kind of upstream determinants, there are social factors and there are systems. And where we eventually landed is that we wanna make huge traction on the social factors because of Pinterest identity as a technology company and because of our platform, which is so many people, it just made sense that things like education and awareness, things like stigma and social isolation, those were clearly in our sweet spot. So that's that's where, really, where we're really trying to focus our flank in the, in the course of the coming decade. That's really interesting. The uh, the thing that I'm also quite um, keen to explore a little bit is, so you're a global platform. I imagine there's some common denominators across markets, but uh, but also, for instance, in terms of mental health, different societies treat it or perceive it differently, right? In some societies, it's a very heavy stigma where it's just not something you're going to be talking about. In others, quite the opposite. Uh, how are you able to sort of help some of those those uh, markets, those countries where where maybe mental well-being isn't um, isn't talked about in a sort of comfortable setting. It's just stigmatized a little bit. I think that's a profoundly true and interesting question. And I think it's profoundly true just not not just across countries, but also across different communities I've wrote. Mm -hmm. And um, you see differential degrees of stigma and isolation in the US, even within uh, individual communities, but certainly globally, um, there are sweepingly different conversations happening when it comes to dimensions of mental health and emotional well-being. At core, I think it's one thing that makes the social sector and the nonprofit sector, the impact sector so incredibly powerful is that if there are groups that, and there are solutions to that question, groups that are able to tackle that question with nuance and insight, they are gonna be organizations that are closest to the ones they're trying to serve. And so I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, because so much of our philanthropy so far has been focused domestically in the U.S., that it's the Steve Fund that's doing some of the most dynamic and interesting work about thinking about it, talking about stigma within the Black community um, and the specific pressures that uh, young people of color face. And I think there are reasons why the Trevor Project has been kind of so insightful about the kind of the unique pressures that the community it serves is facing. Globally, that's true as well. And my instinct, the only way I know to answer that question is finding the organizations and the nonprofits that are kind of closest to the people who are trying to be served and get their insight on the ways and the kinds of messages that will resonate with the communities that they're trying to impact. Because you're absolutely right. And when it comes to kind of our global our messaging, our global platform, there is a ton of research we need to do and a ton of kind of connections we need to make. But even on something like Compassionate Search, which is to put it simply, kind of when you're when you use search terms that suggest you're in mental health crisis or you're you're dealing with depression issues or otherwise, kind of you land on this page on on Pinterest. Even there, as we've expanded compassion search around the world, we connect with local nonprofits that provide 
kind of crisis assistance to people. And to your point, those organizations are naturally and necessarily local. Not just because we need to have a local phone number, but because the complexities of place and the specific pressures and constraints that a, that a country is feeling or that a community has when it comes to talking about or dealing with mental health issues is so varied and is so unique. So, you know, what is clear is that it can't be a one size fits all. But if anything, what kind of a generation of philanthropy has suggested, not just in mental health, but across philanthropy, is that if if you're going to be dealing with an issue with nuance and precision. It is important to look at the kind of particularities of the communities you're serving and talk about it plainly. That's true in racial equity grant-making generally, but it's especially true when you think about philanthropy, both domestically when you're thinking about different communities, but especially globally. And in my eyes, one of the powerful things that philanthropy can do for Pinterest is connect the platform and the organization uh, and, and the organization to the nonprofits that are doing some of the most sophisticated and insightful work when it comes to untangling some of those cultural complexities in place. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about that compassionate search and, and what are you gleaning from it as well? It's It's been around at Pinterest now for, for a number of years and is one of kind of many different product angles we've taken on emotional well-being. The impulse behind it was very simply to connect people with a set of exercises to help them cope with especially anxiety and stress and depression in the moment recognizing, of course, that um, for real issues and for real medical issues, for real crises, it's important to connect them with, um, you know, trained experts. We provide kind of a crisis number that people can can do so. And that's true kind of around the world. I, sh I should add that, like, a huge part of what we've been thinking about generally is the obligation of our platform to connect people with resources that um, are supportive and helpful when they are facing these kinds of constraints. And there's only so much we can do legally. There's only so much we can do like honestly, responsibly as, as a platform in terms of like the specific interventions we use, but it did strike us as important and powerful to have a place where mental health is talked about explicitly. And when people in crisis can find resources that are useful. And so it's, it's not something you necessarily search for itself on Pinterest. It's just when you start using search terms that suggest that you're in that state and that you're facing a hard time, that we can provide resources um, that support pinners who are who are facing those circumstances. Very interesting. Very interesting. How do you connect with other foundations, other charities? Is it people? Is it organizations reaching out to you guys and saying, "Look, we'd we'd like to explore doing something together." Is it is it Pinterest actively looking at its uh, you know at the landscape and seeing you know which are organizations might we be able to engage with? How does that all? How, how do those connections come about? It's been all of the above, and it's been it's been a complete joy. Um, mm. You know, in the last year, we've had the privilege and the ability to kind of talk to so many organizations, both kind of peers in philanthropy, and of course, I come from kind of philanthropy sector in my own my own life, um, but also organizations and people who've gone deep deep in this field, whether it's kind of experts in the field and practitioners like Mark Brackett at Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, or it's folks like the Wellbeing Trust I mentioned earlier, which is right across the bay, and some of the work they've been doing for you know for years now when it comes to emotional well-being and focus on that content. And when it comes to specific nonprofits, look, we've been talking to anyone who's willing to talk to us. And we've kind of increasingly defined our thesis. And I think that's just an important thing for foundations to do, to be fair when you're talking to nonprofits that are looking for funding, to be very clear about kind of what the parameters of our funding is. But we are, you know, we are very much in the phase of building out our work. And we now have kind of a defined series of focus around education awareness, stigma, social isolation, and research, as I mentioned. But my goodness, are we still uncovering powerful work that we weren't aware of. One, one thing that I think has been a 
particular joy of this work for me is that we've also been, especially given that a lot of the spaces we operate in are emergent spaces, um, we've also been able to support organizations that are um, relatively small scale and relatively new. Since a lot of the most interesting emergent work on emotional well-being, especially at the intersection of emotional well-being and technology, is being done by new organizations, and new organizations often helmed by younger people. So that has been, it's, it's generally been deeply exploratory. And of course, we've talked to kind of both kind of consortiums that have been focusing on emotional well-being as a topic and mental health and foundations that have been doing so, whether it's kind of Robert Wood Johnson um, or Pivotal Ventures. We have peers in the space, and at the same time, we're still learning and, and exploring quite a bit. And that's especially true internationally, um, which is kind of the next real horizon of our philanthropic work on emotional well-being. So, oh my goodness, we still have a lot. <laughs> Are you happy for people to reach out to you directly? Of course, anytime, anytime, truly. I, I think it's important for us to be um, really good at projecting to the world what it is we are and are not funding, because it's of no use to anyone whatsoever for us to be wasting anybody's time as we do so. But especially if like a lot of the conversation that you and I have had today resonates with folks, oh my goodness, we'd love to hear. Excellent. And tell me, how did you get into all of this? Like, how did you end up where you are today? I know you have a track record in philanthropy. You were at Stanford Law. I had your former dean at, uh, from, from Stanford at uh, uh, Larry Kramer on the show a while back. You've been in quite a few places. Give us a little bit of insight into, into who Ari is and how Ari ended up at Pinterest. Oh, at core, I just, I anchor it on being a, a Jewish kid from Iowa. Um, and to quote the great Iowa writer, Bill Bryson, like somebody had to be. That context really informs my my career and my life. And you know, my family context is my, both my parents are immigrants. My mom was a refugee and my dad was, was an immigrant. I tell folks that when I was growing up in Iowa, we didn't have piggy banks at home, but we did have a bunch of saka boxes, which collect money from charity. So I was raised with an awareness um, of being honestly just one generation removed from both real poverty and and genocide conceived of and executed in kind of explicitly racial terms. So religion, peoplehood, and specifically Jewish conception of Tikkun Olam to heal the world was um, a huge part of my journey and was kind of made a huge impression on me uh, as a kid, the notion of kind of service and public commitment as a core religious obligation. Um, when I was growing up, I remember, this is, this is the last kind of Jewish small talk I'll give you, I, uh, like so many other kind of Jewish kids in the Midwest, I had an Einstein quote over my bed uh, that spoke to kind of what he saw as these essential features of the Jewish tradition. It was things like the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, um, like a fanatical love of justice, I'm sure you know the quote, kind of a desire for personal independence, and sleeping under those words for something like 15 years absolutely had an impact on how I, how I see the word or the world. And I mentioned earlier the kind of the alchemy of kind of purpose and other regarding this that defines emotional well-being. And I thought a lot about that um, in terms of my own journey, because I think that's ultimately what makes me tick as well. And I know that because when I've tried to do things professionally, otherwise that haven't involved those components, it just, it just hasn't worked out. So before, before Pinterest, I was at the kind of the Kresge foundation where I led the foundation's domestic and global grant making. And so much of that was a deep alignment of kind of, um, personal purpose and professional purpose that um, it allowed me to see kind of why the foundation sector was and how it could be so nourishing, both both as a career, as a vocation, and for me personally, but also for the communities and the issues I cared most deeply about. And while at, while at Kresge, I was also able to build out something called the Opportunity Fund, which is focused on kind of protecting civil rights, promoting racial equity, ensuring the stability of our democratic system, which was which were all kind of new areas for the foundation. And again, I found that um, 
one thing that is so special about, and I've now worked across multiple sectors, you mentioned we haven't done a law school and the like, and um, one thing that is a superpower of philanthropy and philanthropic work is being able to kind of both live your deepest commitments and support organizations and people who are doing just the most remarkable work on it. So that's what drove me to philanthropy in the first place. And ultimately what drove me to Pinterest was the ability to kind of implement and use an entirely new toolkit to advance those kind of same social, same social commitments and same social imperatives, but with kind of a much more expansive suite of tools than I'd, I'd ever seen or used before. So that's a huge part of what makes me tick. And again, it's grounded on kind of my own personal experience. And it's it's grounded on kind of like a growing professional awareness of just what it is I'm I'm seeking. I think a lot of us seek when we go into the world of philanthropy. I love it. And by the way, so I'm, I imagine that you're not entirely surprised that you ended up in philanthropy, uh, bearing in mind your your childhood experiences and your background. You know, it, it's it's not surprising to me. I think it's surprising to my parents um, in some ways. And uh, and as I think a lot of people who've gone into philanthropy have had this experience of explaining to them what it is, what it means, what's it involved. And it's something that, honestly, I don't think I was fully aware of as a field or as a kind of a field of work until well after college. I really mean that. And it was only when I was kind of for a while, I worked in kind of the nonprofit arm of, of a large consulting firm. It was really there that I had my first exposure to the nonprofit sector and the philanthropy. And I remember just being amazed at the sweeping number of ways that philanthropy, if it's done in a creative way, can make a difference in the world. And so much of what I found myself taken with were the foundations who are choosing to honestly like just remove assumptions about like how grants were made or the relationship with community and with community voice. And we're thinking deeply about what servant leadership really meant and about what it meant to use the full spectrum of their capital resources that I found most compelling. And one thing I was very proud about at, at, at Kresge was that we really took on a philosophy of being just agnostic as to capital tool. And so what I got very interested in and continue to be very geeky about is kind of the ways in which philanthropy when creatively done can um, serve in powerful and unique ways. And, you know, in the context of the work of Pinterest specifically, it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating, even broader toolkit. Like I, I, we've talked about it quite a bit today, but even the fact that there's a platform that can reach so many people is, it's just a unique tool. And given it's so like the, the essence of philanthropy is service, it strikes me as like incredibly interesting to kind of explore those dimensions and those ways of kind of living out what for me has been kind of a professional passion yeah, now for, yeah. for, for decades. Um, before we wrap up, do you have a do you have a key takeaway you'd love to share with our with our audience? A key thing that you, you think would be great if they kept in mind after they, they finished listening to today's episode? Well, at core in this role. I'm an evangelist for organizations that are doing wonderful work on emotional well-being. And I think, and I know it's a very buzzy topic right now, but it's a massively underinvested one with some notable exceptions I mentioned earlier. I, I think it's not just a crisis and one that has kind of particularly toxic effects on existing inequities, but I also think it's going to have an immensely long tail. Um, so I encourage folks to look up the work of amazing organizations like Half the Story, like Inseparable, Stefan, Trevor Project, Jed Foundation, Bring change to mind, ruler, and other incredible nonprofits that kind of really, really are on the front lines of tackling this crisis because they need more attention and they need more support. And also, I know this podcast is a favorite of the folks in philanthropy, but we love partners in this work, and we'll st and we're still learning. So, if the dimensions of this discussion we've had today, um, oh my goodness, I'd love to continue that conversation. Wonderful. 
excellent way to come to a conclusion for today's fascinating chat. And uh, Ari, thank you. I know you're uh, you're extremely busy, and I wish you continued success with the work you're doing over there at Pinterest to drive forward social impact, and uh, and good luck with everything. And I look forward to meeting you in person, hopefully in the not too distant future. Thank you so much, Alberto. I feel the same way. Um, hopefully sooner rather than later. And really appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great conversation with Ari Simon, Head of Social Impact and Philanthropy at Pinterest. For information on almost 150 interviews with remarkable thought leaders, just visit our website at leadji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already. Do share with your friends, family, and colleagues, and leave us a rating and a review if you enjoy the show. Thanks ever so much, and I'll catch you next week.